This is the Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Oh, yeah. And uh, we've done East of Eden here. (laughs) And we decided we better do West of Eden because what's going on over there? (laughs) Because once you've read John Steinbeck, how can you not compliment it with Harry Harrison? (laughs) That's right. That's all I'm saying. Harry Harrison, yes. Yeah, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. (laughs) Genesis. That's a a quote right here at the beginning of this book. Mm -hmm. So Harry Harrison, West of Eden, this was a book written in 1984. It is a science fiction book. Um, It is what I would call alternate history. Would you put it in any other categories? Oh, yeah, I guess so. I hadn't really thought about that because, as I mentioned to you before, I just was so busy thinking of it as a first contact book. Yeah. But you're right. It's alternate history. Yes. But first contact, that's that's great. Yeah. That's great. So in this book, um, it tells you right at the beginning in a little paragraph, it says, hey, what's new here Um, is that um, 65 million years ago, a meteor hit the earth and this is in actual history and destroyed all the dinosaurs. And in this book that never happened and dinosaurs continued to evolve and change and, um, had like millions of years to do that (laughs) and evolved intelligence, but mankind kept evolving or the mammals evolved to, and mankind as we know it also evolved in um, in the north, right? In the um, well, I guess I guess we don't know all of it, but we no, as so on far a different as we, yeah continent on a different continent, yes. And um, yeah, as we meet them, they're in they're in the north, in the cold, frozen north, where reptiles don't go. And um, at the at the beginning of this book. A band of humans travels south and uh, on a hunt. And these reptilian folks, there it is. So the Yelani, that's right, Yelani. So the, that's what they call themselves, right? And I think, and you know, gosh, I, I wish I had written this stuff down. But the 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 men, the the mammals, the men have a name for the reptilians. And the, the reptilians, yeah, the Murgu, right? And the and the reptilians have a name for the men, and the men have their own name for the men, and the reptilians have their own name for themselves, right? <laughs> so Just, you, yeah, well, yeah, um, well, but the thing, the main thing is because the dinosaurs, we'll call them the Ilane, because there are mm-hmm. all kinds of dinosaurs, but these are the smart ones. These are the equivalents to men. Yeah. They're intelligent. They're tool users of a sort uh-huh. um, with the most advanced um, genetic engineering awesome that you can even imagine. <laughs> yes. Which is pretty creepy, but very interesting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But um, so they are equivalent. They're the reptilian dinosaur equivalent to men. Hmm. Men have not advanced as far. They haven't needed to. So the men are 
what we would think of as, you know, the roaming nomads, the hunters, and they're, they come down, they get their meat and everything and fish and they salt it and they go back up north when it's in the summer, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The reptilian people, the Ilane, they have been on another continent. Yeah. They come to this continent, they're building a new city, and they are trying to do something on the beaches where the people usually come and fish. And there's a natural antipathy between both sets. Both sets look at each other and go, that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. These warm-blooded people, and you know, <clears throat> mm-hmm. ugh, they're awful they're, with their weird soft skin and all this hair everywhere and everything. And then the reptiles are just as awful. Right. To the people, mm-hmm. like a snake or a, you know, we kind of have that instinctive reaction a lot of the time anyway. I, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I was talking yeah, to a friend so, about that. It's like we're we're naturally repulsed by bugs. At least I am. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Bugs, I think scorpions are the worst thing I can imagine. I'm not a fan of uh, scorpions. That's pretty bad. Yeah, and, uh, and reptiles, right? There's just mm-hmm. like this revulsion. Um, They're yeah. so different from us. They are, yeah. yeah. But and yet so, they're made of DNA, just like we are. Well, it, but isn't that amazing? They're so different. But I know. I just think cares. it's cool. So no, different. who cares? It's 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 beautiful and <laughs> and profound. That's who cares. Uh, sorry, yeah. I'm sorry. I was thinking of the story. <laughs> I, I was being really yeah. too literal. Nobody. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Nobody. Nobody in this book is thinking about their DNA. So okay. anyway, go ahead. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I was really applying what you were saying to the dinosaurs and the people, and I was like, mm-hmm. what are you talking? <laughs> Never mind. Okay, just cut all this out. We're gonna start over. Oh, too fun. Hi, I'm Julie. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. all I was gonna mm-hmm. say is. Because of this natural antipathy, once they discover each other, the dinosaurs uh, are wiped out initially by the people who they're hunters. They're ready to do it, and the others are not, have never seen any creature like this. And as the book goes on, and of course, then uh, dinosaurs uh, who are more vigilant show up and go, Oh, really? They're <laughs> wiping out this whole tribe. Yeah. And they think that's all of them. Right. So everybody's everybody anybody who got away and they take away one little boy with them alive because they want to study and a girl. They want to study them. Everybody else is killed. Hmm. And so the story is told from the point of view of the little boy on one side and on the other side from the point of view mostly of the leader, the person who's the leader of the city at that point. Yeah, the ente. She's a an adult and and all the all the dominant uh People, so to speak, individuals of the Ilane are female. Mm. So it's a complete reversed society to the humans. And so the whole thing is really interesting because for one thing, since neither had ever encountered the other, they're all having a hard time grasping how different these two different sets of creatures are from each other. Mm-hmm. And what they can accomplish and how they think and how they even tackle problems. They're not thinking about it like that, but yeah. as each one tries to solve the problem of getting rid of these very uh, awful other people, hmm. this is what comes up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's an incredible piece of world building. Um, oh, man. It's Yeah. It's, it's deeper than most. Um, yeah, at one point I was thinking, man, this is like Dune. I mean, in in the mm-hmm. the way of you know how deep it was, and I mean the book is about the same length and everything, 
but um, it was terrific. Uh, it was really great, all these details about everything. But I was worried a little bit. I was like, oh, I wonder if Julie's loving all these details. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It was well, like, and then they put the thing on the on their wrist oh, and whatever, right. you know, that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, but, you know, he did it in a way that was so natural to the story. Yeah, I thought so, too. It's just... That it yeah. didn't seem like he was stopping and explaining everything for Paige. I totally so agree. It was, it's like, yeah. you know, you could study this book to figure out how he actually did all that revealing. Because it never slowed down. I mean, the book was nonstop. Well, but and the so thing much thought, information. Yeah, go oh, ahead. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His, his world building, especially from the point of view of the Elane, was so imaginative this genetic engineering and all the the things that they used all these creatures for you know the cloaks that are some creature that they can put over their shoulders and keep them warm because they're cold-blooded so they need that but they just drop them and the cloaks because they're alive although not sentient just uh put out these tendrils and go oh here's some place where i can suck the sap out of this part of the city I'll be fine until somebody else comes along and needs me, and I'll exude heat again. Yeah, that's what I do. Right. Um, and, and in the, fact, the I thought city it, itself. Yeah. Right. The city is grown from a seed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and directed by um, a leader, right? You know, this is what's going to. You know, somehow she's she was directing the growth. You know, uh, you know through through the seed or whatever. But there was a a way that she was saying, you know, this is the way the city is going to be, you know, and then she's given this task to kind of mold it. Right. Because I could imagine easily you would have people or Ilane working for you who would be, um, since it's really kind of like a huge tree sort of a thing in a sense, mm-hmm. um, a huge plant anyway, you're pruning here, you're directing there. It's, you know, so you're leaving open spaces for gatherings. You're doing all these other things for rooms and things. Um, it was fascinating. And one thing I really liked about it was the way that it's introduced to us. So, you know, we're told in this little paragraph, here's the, here's the concept of the book. What if dinosaurs lived and were intelligent, all this stuff? What would happen when they met men? And then the first chapter basically is... Um, the story of the nomads, the hunters, who are seeing these dinosaurs and killing them. And the little boy who's, you know, captured. And, uh, or I'm sorry, that doesn't happen till later. They kill them, right? That's when the dinosaurs become aware of them. But the next chapter starts a little further away from that scene, and you're seeing these great, I know I can't say this, it's called Entisonaut... They're like huge submarines carrying the dinosaurs across the sea, but they're actually gigantic fish that have been so genetically modified that when you're climbing up to look out and see what's happening, like you would in a submarine, it's ribs that have been exposed and are perfectly not bothered by that. So you can use some stairs. This certain part of the fish, this big opening opens up in the top and you can come out, smell the fresh air, look around, see where you are. It was really creepy. Hmm. I don't remember feeling like it was creepy when I first read the book in 1984 when it came out, but reading it and thinking about how genetically modified all these creatures were, 
so that they became just tools. Um, I know we do this with, you know, chickens and cows and whatever, but um, they did it so extensively Mm. that it was interesting. But that's the way you start to see how they think about nature and how they use it for their own benefit. Right. Through right. breeding and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah, manipulation and yeah, mm-hmm. and and the stuff that they're pulling off with that technology is really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is in 1984. Yeah, and some yeah, of the some of the before. stuff. Yeah. yeah. This is before a lot of the devices, you know, cuz I could recognize, mm-hmm. oh, that was that's like a drone. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we do it with electronics, but these folks were doing it with animals. With, and that's uh, part of the contrast, right? Mm-hmm, because yeah. the um, people, the Tanu is that particular tribe, but the people are using the way we do, tools. Mm-hmm. They're making bows and arrows. They've got um, spears. They, you know, they, they make clothes out of things. And mm-hmm. so um, there's the contrast, right? Yeah. You need the, the minds behind them, but how can you find the weaknesses of the others and exploit them and use them in a way so that you can get the advantage because each side just wants to exterminate the other. Yeah, which is a shame. <laughs> you uh, <know>? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, and then we have, you know, there was someone who we meet pretty early on as Inga, mm. the Yelani who is kind of pro life, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> yeah, I was so surprised reading that this time through because now I'm Catholic and everything. And I went, I don't think I really fully grasped everything going on here <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah but she's she's a, a, a bit of an outcast especially to Vayente, who is the leader um she doesn't have a lot of respect for inga um because she's she's part of this group they're called the daughters of life and it's just a philosophical difference that um she's got with probably the mainstream of um, the Yelani. So, um, but one of the tasks that she gets pretty quickly is to teach this animal uh, their language. Yeah, so, the little boy and girl little that boy, they yeah. captured. Right, and his name is Carrick. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, I don't know how much we want to give away at this point. Well, Do we want to say anything else before oh gosh, we spoil it away? Yeah. It, yep. Well, and Vente mm-hmm. is um, she is going to be the leader of the new city at least while it's being developed. Yeah, and she has all power. Yeah, and so through her thoughts and through the way she's described in terms of like um, the way they use body language is incredible. Yeah, you but you learn so much about how different these creatures are, and what you learn when you mentioned Enge. Enga, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that it's probably different. It, this is a what she believes is a completely new concept that in millions of near years has never been come up with before. Mm-hmm. So it's you can't say it's like the Christians because they're really the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. But yeah, it's if you'd yeah. never come across anything like that. Right. This completely different way to think. So she's just kind of the little seed dropped in there that every so often this pops up and gets talked about, or because uh, the daughters of life, as they call themselves, 
are very much um, prisoners, reviled, outcasts. In fact, one of the things of the way the dinosaurs feel is if you have been, you belong so strongly to your group that you came out of the sea with, to your group that you live with, to your city, that if you're cast out of your city, you just curl up and die because hmm. you have to belong to something. And the Daughters of Life are actually called um, that because they won't die. They're hmm. like, we believe in something bigger than just a city, and so they don't die. And hmm. everybody's like, something is really wrong with you, and we don't like it. So that's kind of the three ways of thinking, I guess, that mm-hmm. are in the book. Sure, yeah. So yeah, but so that's it. It's a terrific book, but that's the setup. And um, so now you have this little boy living amongst these dinosaurs, learning about them as we learn about them as readers. Um, and it just worked really well. Mm-hmm. And uh, this little boy, I mean, he's separated. So uh, just to be clear, this new city is, you know, this, they have like a, the city that they came from across the ocean. They, I, I can't remember what the name of that is, but the, they came from that city and came here to almost do a sister city you know, something that is, it seemed like it had a strong connection to the original city, um, you know. Right. And, uh, because they were bringing, like, some of the original things that they would put into the wall as symbols of where they, their history. Yeah, right. Things from the ocean and things like that, yeah. which were from that other city. So that's why it was such a surprise for both of them to meet each other, the humans and the dinosaurs, because, uh, yeah, they just lived on different continents, so... It's just not something that came up for for these folks, at least. Well, yeah, and the dinosaurs on the other continent, the way they tell it is, they've completely populated it. Yeah. There's nowhere that doesn't have from go from one city to another. And so they've never come across anything like this. But both sides, the Tanu, the people, and the Alani dinosaurs, are struggling to figure out what to do about an ice age that's happening. Yeah. It's getting yeah. colder and colder and colder. And, of course, the cold-blooded dinosaurs can't handle that. And the cities, which are living, are dying. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so... And they don't yeah. have fire. I mean, they, they don't use fire. It's like... <laughs> well, that's... Yeah, that's yeah. definitely one of the things at the very end. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. fire is a key thing. But yes. um, mm. Yeah, cause, because everything they do is biological. Fire is not biological. Right, right. And also the way they react with heat is different because they're very attracted to it because they're cold-blooded and the heat is so delightful Yeah. until it burns you up. Right. <laughs> until it's too many heats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. But the, the, that whole culture was fascinating. I mean, they even had, um, well, the male and female thing was super interesting. Like you said, it was a completely flipped thing. But the, the males were super passive um Mm -hmm. and in fact when uh their process of uh, procreation when the males were involved with that it's like they became even more so it was just you know completely dependent and um you know they don't they don't fight back or anything it's just you know that and then there were these other creatures that kind of hung out and I would imagine that they looked a little bit different. Um, that that's the way it was in my head. Whether the book said that or not, I don't recall. But there were these other creatures. Were they called the Ingu or something like that? They were um, just 
things, it was almost like they were slavish, you know, and you could just tell them to do whatever. Oh, and no, they, the Fargo. Fargo, thank you. Yes, the Fargo. No, Fargoo. and it, mm-hmm. this is explained to Carrick at one point. So mm-hmm. they come out of the ocean. They're, they're hatched in the ocean. Or they're hatched on a beach. It's kind of like turtles, uh-huh. in a sense. <laughs> they're hatched on the beach. They um, go. They hatch. They go into the ocean. They find their little group of, you know, here's all the ones our age. They learn to speak and swim and think more and everything while they're in the ocean, which is where... One of their forms of language, which is a like they can change the colors of their palms or whatever and mm-hmm. go, here's fish, that kind of thing. They get to a certain point and then they come back out of the water, but they're still not finishing developing. So the Fargo, there are some that can't speak or anything, but they're interested in everything going on. So they're following all the ones who can think and speak and do everything and they're learning as they go. Mm. And the ones who are smarter and smarter, those are the ones that they would give tasks to and say, now memorize this and go tell this person. <laughs> right. And those are ones that you could see would develop later into being able to do more and more and more. Gotcha. The other yeah. ones just do simple tasks or um, they just hang out. Yeah. I mean, but they're, but they're always doing it in a place where they can watch and learn if they can. And they're not really thinking about the learning. That's just part of here's the next step, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of like a baby. Right, right. Yeah, fascinating. Yep. So, um, yeah, because one of the things that's interesting that's revealed as the book goes is we think we understand the people because the way the nomad tribe is presented is something that's very familiar to us. The hunter-gatherers, they, you know, they, they travel to more than one place. They have mastodons, which is their big beast of burden. Mm. And um, they're, they have the tents. They have all the things. We get this. And we're shown some of that. And once Carrick escapes and gets out and there are other people, they have to be on the move more because the Elani are chasing after them. Because mm. for one thing, Vante and Carrick have this kind of a love-hate relationship, (laughs) but by the when Carrick escapes, it's definitely a hate-hate relationship. And so (laughs) she's determined to kill him, and he knows she'll never quit chasing him. So what they decide is, as once he gets out, is we have to kill all of them. They'll never quit trying to kill us, and we can't live like this. Mm. Um, So as they're going along trying to do this, what you suddenly discover is there are more and more and more tribes at the beginning, you might know about there's a few tribes who are like them, but as they travel more, looking for other ways where maybe there aren't the dinosaurs, where maybe they can get an advantage of some sort, they're going into lands they never went into. So what you're finding is different kinds of people, different tri- tribes and different yeah. ways of living. Mm-hmm. And this is what you were referring to before with the religious idea and everything. And that's funny because I'd remembered most of this book. And that part of it, with the discovering the new tribes, is the last maybe third or fourth part of the book. I remembered almost nothing from that. As huh. I'd read about it, I'd go, oh, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> but it wasn't anything I could predict. Mm-hmm. So it was even more interesting to me than it was before. Yeah. Well, that's cool. What I what I remember from this book so long ago was Vayente and Carrick. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, that's that's all that's I remembered. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep, so a lot of these details were new again. 
I'd read it so many times when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of rereadings. So. Did you continue on with the next two? I tried the next one, and I just didn't like it. Okay. So I didn't read well, it anymore. Well, that's a bummer. Yeah. yeah. I looked on Goodreads, and they had the same general rating. So I was still hopeful. Yeah. Oh, well. Yep. Maybe you'd like them. Maybe so. Maybe so. I so, felt yeah. as if, since we're in totally in spoiler territory, mm-hmm. I felt as if I was done with the Bante Carrick situation. Uh-huh. And for her to still be alive and doing stuff, I did not care anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that's just me. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. And, you know, at the very end of the book, um, again, we're in spoiler territory, but the fact that she survives is... Um, is rough (laughs) because you know okay well this is going to continue um but i did i did really like well you know carrick's whole journey was interesting to me you know Mm -hmm. so so here he is you know a a kid who is eager to please his fellow humans right eager to get out there and do adult things you know you you see them hunt and he's like oh i want to do that you know what i mean and and then he ends up captured with that girl and then the girl is eliminated. Um, there's a lot of rough stuff in here. Um, and then Carrick, you know, he's learning the language and he gets, goes from being completely angry to resolved and then somehow enjoying life. You know, he gets to go to the other continent and that fish. And, you know, I remember him standing out there and, and feeling that air on him. But at mm-hmm. the same time, he is a prisoner, and he never forgets that, and he does take his opportunities to escape. But it's over, you know, I imagine 10 years' time or so, maybe less. It yeah, felt like a long time. He's eight when he's captured. Okay, so wasn't he 15? I don't know. I don't know how old he was when he finally got away for real. I feel like he was maybe a little older because he does get mm-hmm. married pretty quick after yeah, that. But yeah, not so. tons older probably. But sure. Mm-hmm. But I would say that he was determined to escape until they came up with a way to make it so he couldn't escape. Right, and that that was an interesting thing too. He had a mm-hmm. he had a, a creature attached to him. <laughs> Very right? slow, all the Dinos time, big dinosaur. all the time. Yeah, all the time. But they he figured out how to escape, and because there was other humans that were kind of peeking in on him, and he I remember he saw someone's face, but. But, you know, and also the, the lying thing was interesting because he lied that's, when he yeah. tried to escape. And Vante said, how on earth can you say something that's not true? And then she used it. <laughs> she used him. She said, you can lie. So I need you to say this. And then used him to assassinate someone else that she didn't want around. Because they had no concept of lying because that's something I found interesting was... They physically couldn't lie because their body language was so oh, integral yeah. a part of their yep. language. Right. They would speak, but also it was supplemented with uh, colors that they would flash or the way their bodies would move. And when Carrick would learn yeah. to talk, they'd say, why is he crouching like that? And they're like, because he doesn't have a tail. Mm. Imagine if he had a tail. They're like, oh, now I can see what he's saying. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, so... Viente learned she already was working on the process of hiding her thoughts because to hide your thoughts from someone you had to not move at all yeah yeah 
and basically not say anything or say the least amount possible that could be interpreted as whatever you were supposed to agree with doing that. Mm-hmm. So she was as close as she could get. So when she saw Carrick lying, she instantly knew what he was doing because it's something she wished she could do. She just didn't even understand the concept till she saw it. And she went, that's it. You can do that thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Radiating innocence. And she goes, you're doing it again. This is amazing. Okay, great. <laughs> Never do it to me, but. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the interesting thing is, is he's realizing these key things about them too. And it's psychologically important for how he understands them later Mm. because he has to be able to think like them and then learn again, how to think like a human being. Yeah. He's been a prisoner since he was eight. So he's lost a lot of memory, a lot of language, a lot of identity of being a human being, especially once you add in the dinosaur sex that Vante has been having (laughs) with him. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that, I know I keep using the word interesting, but it was, mm-hmm. the ideas of him being a bridge between those two worlds. Mm-hmm. Because he could think more creatively than Vante. She could use different people to get the creative thinking done. But he himself could go, you know what? They can't stand the cold. Let's go up there. You know what? Let's attack at night. They always do the same thing. They never vary it. And it came in even handier when they were meeting all those different groups of people. He was flexible enough because he was used to trying to think about how the dinosaurs saw things that he could look at it and say, oh, these people think like this. Because at one point when they meet the, I always think of them like Hopi Indians, but mm-hmm. the people who wove cotton for clothing and worshipped the mastodon. and yeah, yeah. Stayed, they, they basically had a little city, and he went, oh, I recognize this. The nomads looked at that and went, who would want to stick to one spot? This <laughs> is ridiculous. I'd feel terrible. And he understood it because he'd lived in the city with the dinosaurs. And he also was a, so he's able to take all that stuff and apply it somewhere else. And then he also was able to say, but here's what they get out of it. They have a sense of, of security. They have a sense of they're free, but they've got this one spot, and here's how it makes them feel. The Herolac, who's one of the nomads, says, I have se- also seen that as they depend on the green field, so do the fields depend on them. They must stay in this one place forever. That is not for everyone. If I could not roll my tent and move on, I do not think I would find this life worth living at all. And then Carrick says, they might feel the same way about you. They might miss returning to the same fire in the evening, not seeing the same fields in the morning. Herlach thought about this and nodded agreement. Yes, that is possible. You're the one who sees things in a different way, Carrick, perhaps because of all those years living with the Murgu. Mm, yep. And Carolac doesn't really talk about, or Carrick, sorry, doesn't really reflect on that much more then but it made me think about all the struggles we're having in our own society right now how inflexible so many of us are in not being able to see what the other side is thinking understand the benefits they're looking for understand the fears that they've got because it's in contradiction with our own yeah you know Mm -hmm. yeah trying to understand why they believe what they believe or 
Right. You know, or just, just having enough respect to find that interesting, <laughs> I think yeah. is rare, you know. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So it's a common problem throughout time, and the author, of course, is using it for dramatic effect and mm. conflict and yeah. all that kind of thing. But because we see it done again and again by Carrick, we can see the different degrees to which it's needed, I yeah. think. Yeah, the understanding. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And it was nice that, you know, Carrick went through all of that and and started to become a confident person, um, starting yeah. to understand what he brought to the world. And, um, but yeah, but it was destruction upon the Yelani. Right. Mm-hmm. He understood them and he understood their, how to exploit their weaknesses once he understood more about how men did things again. Mm-hmm. And I loved the thing also about what was the name of his wife? Uh, she see, was Armun. Armun, Armun yeah. Armun. Yeah. Yeah. That she had been born with a cleft palate and always mocked and made fun of and everything. And he looked at her and found it familiar looking because he was used to a reptilian face that kind of had, you know, a split lip like that. And then also she spoke in a nasal way because of the cleft palate. And that was kind of how the dinosaurs talked too. And he was like, he's like, Oh, you're beautiful. And so even though it was kind of a backwards thing, but I loved that he could see and appreciate and show her some love that she would never have had because he'd gone through all the things he'd gone through. He'd gone through the hardships, but here's one of the blessings of it. Hmm. For both of them. Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I liked that too. I mean, it just kind of reminds us all that, you know, from tragedy can come some things, you know, and that's, that's kind of what happened there. Um, yeah. And being able to look past what's skin deep, although he was appreciating that stuff. Mm-hmm, right. He's right. like, of course you're beautiful. And she's always like, no, you're the only one that thinks that. And he goes, well, <clears throat> it doesn't matter what other people think. because I'm the one who knows. Yeah. Um, and haven't you found that too? I mean, you get to know someone and it doesn't matter what your first impression was of how they looked or some funny little thing about them. Maybe you know who the real person is and you don't even see that stuff anymore. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I really liked um, the, again, if we go back to the technology where mm-hmm. um, they had a, a bird basically that could, well, it was uh. actually a little creature attached to a bird that could, um, take video <laughs> or pictures, mm-hmm. photographs, you know? And, uh, I thought that was really neat. Um, I thought that was crazy too, because, and they were so clever with how, or the author was with how he had them adapting everything because they figured out they kill a bird and that little lump, that's a huge eye that mm-hmm. just blinks, and that's those are the pictures it's taking and putting in its memory. They see that, and they figure it out, and they go, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Well, we'll move at night. Yeah. Well, then they figure out how to do it on an owl, because the <laughs> birds are also genetically adapted, so that's they don't right. make noise. Yeah. They don't go with the other flocks. They Remember, have their own yeah. mission. Vante yeah. asking, you know, can we take these pictures at night? And they figure it out, you know, how yeah. to... <laughs> You know, oh, I think we could. Yeah. Think about it. Yep. So good. 
Yeah. yeah. And then um, Carrick, you know, with the humans at that point, they shoot down these birds and he says, yep, there's the thing right there that'll show them pictures. Yeah. But then what do they do? They turn it against them. Yep. They say, we're going to do this thing. They're going to take the pictures. And then while they think we're doing this and they're going to attack us like that, we're going to sneak off and do this other thing. <laughs> right. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just, you know, each one, it, it really turned into the humans were always having to adapt and innovate ahead of the others. Yeah. Because they were te- technologically outmatched, but right. it's like their their nimbleness or their ability to adapt outmatched the dinosaurs. Yes. Yeah. Their flexibility, their um, their the way they just used tools, and even though the tools were very simple, the dinosaurs had never seen spears before or arrows. Mm-hmm. So that was baffling at first. Then they figured yeah. it out. But they didn't understand where did they get metal from. We have a creature we bred that it exudes metal in the shape that you put the creature in. <laughs> the creature dies and it leaves the metal behind. Mm-hmm. They're like, what are they doing? Well, of course, we're digging it up and pounding it into shapes and everything. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. One of the things I liked also that showed the level to which he thought about this, it's talking about how they're getting ready to, they're planting the thorn wall that goes around the city and that keeps all the predators out because it's also got this horrible poison that's on all the thorns. And it says, um, just so just to give people an idea that they sow larvae to kill all the parts of the jungle they don't want. Then and there were birds and animals that didn't like them, and the caterpillars ate everything. But in order to control the caterpillars, they um, had death already planted at a so that when they grew to a certain point, they just died. Then they rot, and their bodies are providing nourishment uh, that worms will eat and turn into fertilized soil. And then. Um, grass is sown, the thorn barriers are built, and it says a new field had been eaten from the jungle, pushing it further away from the city, forming yet another barrier to the dangers hidden there. Yet there was nothing unnatural or harsh about this slow advance. The Elane lived as one with their surroundings, were part of the environment, and inextricably entwined with it. Anything else would have been unthinkable. The fields themselves had no regularity of plan or design. Their shapes and sizes depended only upon the resistance of the foliage and the appetite of the caterpillars. The thorn bushes formed a protecting barrier of varying thicknesses, while many patches of the original jungle remained to add variety to the landscape. And then it's talking about how they managed the herds and all this stuff. Yeah, that's and great. And I, I love the touch about they go through this process, but they're not trying to guide it in, and it should be shaped like this. Eh, it's big enough now, so we'll <laughs> stop. And they leave part of the jungle because we like how it looks. Yeah, that's cool. You know? Mm-hmm. And so it's a way of working with the world that we don't find natural at all. Right, right. And it is, of course, completely natural because mm-hmm. they're allowing all those things within all the changes they've made. But they're allowing all those things just to do their thing and see... Here's the shape it's, it is. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. I just found that, that is, really interesting. Yeah, me too. And it's a contrast to the human way, which is, you know, finding things and making things out of those things, you know. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's like metal and, you know, the wood stuff that they were doing. You know, you'd chop down a tree and make arrows. Um, yeah, it's, it's just interesting contrast, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And normally and- the, the nature folks would be very... Um, very peaceful, but not in this yes. one. <laughs> in this one, they are well, not. Yeah. Well, surprisingly enough, they would innovate using you know the biological creatures to do other things, like you were talking about with the photography and everything. But at one point, the author is talking about the daughters of life and how hard it is for the dinosaurs, the massive dinosaurs, to understand them because they said they were essentially ultimately extremely conservative Hmm. if something was done one way it was always good that way yeah which is what carrick's able to take advantage of when he says well when they attack at night they always have a camp first they always sleep they never wake up or they never uh do anything in the middle of the night when it's dark they have to sleep yeah we can take advantage of that Mm -hmm. and the daughters of life um by proposing this different way which is thinking about do other creatures understand death you know in fact Carrick and Enge talk at one point and she says um, let's see what they believe is that the burning disturbing truth that the world and all things in it contain more than can easily be seen. Do you ever think of these things? No, he answered quite honestly. You should, but you are young and not a Ilani. I have puzzled about you since you first started to speak, and your existence is still a puzzle to me. You are not a Ilani, yet you are not a bestial Ustuzu, which is what they call humans, since you can speak. I don't know what you are or how you fit into the scheme of greater things. Carrick was beginning to be sorry he had found Enge. Little of what she said made sense to him. But now that she was speaking more for her own, her own benefit than his, she could not be stopped. So, this is a little long, but I was going to read it. Yeah, please do. Our belief must be true because there is a power in it that passes the comprehension of the non-believer. It was a long name I can't say, who came first to this understanding, spent her life ordering her mind, forcing herself to understand, to bring a new thing into the world where none had been before. She talked to the others about her belief, and they laughed at her. Word reached the Aista, which I think is it means leader of her city, about her strange ways, and she was called before the Aista, who commanded her to speak, and she did. She spoke of the thing within all of us that cannot be seen, the thing that enables us to speak and separates us from the unthinking animals. Animals do not have the thing within, which is why they cannot speak. Therefore, speaking is the voice of the thing within, and that thing within is life and the knowledge of death. Animals have no knowledge of life or death, but they they are, then they aren't. But the Elane know, and now you know, which is the great puzzle that I must grapple with. Who are you? What are you? Where do you fit into the design? So that in a nutshell, basically the 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 dinosaur whose name I can't say at all is has discovered a soul. 
basically. Yeah. And thinking knowledge. And <clears throat> it's so unnatural to everyone to even consider this that they cast them out. Because that's what makes it so they're not tied to the city. They right, can think right. for themselves and understand death <clears throat> and life. Mm. And of course, so can the Ustuzu, the humans. And which is why later when um, Enge and her daughters of life are ordered to go help kill them, she won't do it. And in fact, that will make them die. If they're ordered to do something like that, it is so against everything that they believe that they just kind of die instead of be able to do it. Mm. As we discovered when a couple of scientists were ordered to come up with things that would kill them and they just like, oh, this this will be fine. It's to help them, right? <laughs> Later you hear they were found dead. Yeah. So right. you know they were daughters of life. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. And I love the, the very final scene too uh, mm-hmm. with Inga and Carrick where Vante has basically left Inga to die and all of her uh, daughters of life. And, but then Vante goes, she swims to the fish, whatever those are called mm-hmm. again. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But um, then uh, Carrick tells Inga that she's the only Yelane he doesn't want to kill. Right. Yeah. That was that was a good moment. There we go. There's a beginning of some peace. <laughs> as well, as the right. the city burned around them. Yeah. Right, because what did they do? What did Vante do when the daughters of life wouldn't cooperate? She said, Well we're calling you daughters of death and you're gonna get put in the front lines. When we're attacking the humans, they can shoot you first. And you'll help let us get closer because we're not sacrificing valuable members of our warriors. And so I was like, oh, they're martyrs mm. for, yeah. um, for their beliefs. And although I'm positive Harry Harrison wasn't thinking of this in a Christian way, you can't help but look at the first Christians, the martyrs, the the people who were thinking and developing a philosophy to get you closer to God. Mm-hmm. How do we live? Who are we? Yeah. What does that mean for us? If we can understand these things and others can't. Yeah. And feeling outcast. Yeah. Yeah. And being outcast. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. And they do it when they're told to go on the front lines. They're not fighting back because they're not going to kill anyone. They do it. Yep. Very cool. I like I like that connection. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's a really really nice one. Yeah, it's really powerful, and that would be the one thing I suppose that I'd be interested in reading the other two books for is to see what happens with the daughters of life. Yeah, that would be cool if that's developed more. And and again, you know, Carrick went through all this stuff, and I, I guess you know the the final piece of his journey there was um, some forgiveness. Or some mercy, maybe mercy's the better word, because he didn't forgive Vante, um, but he he definitely had mercy for Enga and uh, and possibly friendship. You know that maybe there's going to yeah. be some blossoming of that because this this is really warlike. You know, I mean, there's a lot of battles oh, in here, yeah. which are fantastically written, by the way. They're amazing. Uh, they're, they're so good. <laughs> it makes me wonder. I know that Harry Harrison wrote some medieval stuff. Um, oh, like, yeah, and it just makes me wonder if uh, I should track those down and see if they're any good. 
I don't mm-hmm. know if they're fantasy or historical fiction, but um, I think one was called, um, it's like One King's Way or something like that. Hammer and the Cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, One King's Way is one of his. So, yeah. Okay, well, I know of his Death World trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed that for what it was, which was pulp science fiction with a with a sarcastic uh, yeah. hero. <laughs> I don't know if you ever read any of those. I haven't read Death World, but I know him from the Stainless Steel Rat. Right, and I yeah. tried those and just couldn't. Yeah, but it, the like description them. you just gave mm-hmm. is the Stainless Steel Rat description too, pretty much. Probably. <laughs> yep. It pretty much yeah. is, yeah, kind of a snarky main character who is a, sort of a, you know, a gentleman thief, I guess. You know, the, the, okay. thief, the thief that you really like. Okay. Yeah, who's witty and funny. Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion <laughs> running around stealing stuff in the future. I'd have to try rereading it, I guess, because I didn't get that impression, but I, it might have been the wrong time to read it, too. But And so that's why this book impressed me so much. It wasn't those other two. No, not at all. Which, he was being yeah. clever and fun, but it wasn't, it didn't go into this depth. He wasn't thinking about things the way he was here, because the conversations between Enga and Vante also were revealing, in terms of Vante's trying to show her there's a different way to think. And, I mean, I'm sorry, Enga, I can't remember who I said. Enga keeps saying, I really respect you, Viente. You were always the strongest, the best of all of us in our group that came out of the ocean, you know. And I always admired you and thought you were the best, and I still do. You've got this amazing mind and everything. She goes, but why can't you see this is another valid way to think? Mm. Viente's like, ridiculous. Yeah, right. Never! <laughs> That's yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> So the whole time, it's not the deepest book it could be, but as an adventure, first contact, really different world, um, it's got enough. You know, it's not when you said it's like Dune, it is not like Dune in that there are not those kind of deep level ideas that are going and intertwining. But it's saying something that actually is important, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, that, that's that's really well put. I agree with that. Yeah, it's like and Dune. It's when I compared it to Dune, I was comparing the world, like right. the, the depth and the um, I don't know. It just felt so real. The the intricacy of all of the world building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you made that really clear. And I yeah. think actually the people in this are much more realistic. Than the people in Dune, a yeah. lot of the people in Dune. Interesting, but yeah. um, I, I, I don't me, disagree at all. I didn't, I hadn't made that observation, but yeah, yeah. Just when I was comparing them, but I was thinking about it, going, you know, when you read this, there's everything's about Vante and Carrick, and every character in there is supporting one side or the other. The only one who stands aside is um, Enge, and she's the only one who is talking about anything that's different from the way it's always been. Mm. And so that makes her character interesting because she's the one who's victorious in the end, really. Vante is going back to that city, and who knows what will happen, but her city's been burned down, and it was done by the Ustuzu, the men. Mm, right. She has lost everything. 
and only the fact that she hates them, the men, more than she loves the city, is what allows her to not die when the city dies. Mm. She keeps going because the strength of her hatred is so strong. Yeah, yeah, that's Whereas cool. the daughters mm-hmm. of life keep going because their love of life and respect for all creatures and the soul, essentially, is what keeps them alive. Yeah, very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that is the little thread that makes this, it, it, like I said, it's not the super divas, but that stuff is there to think about, and I, yeah. I like that element of it. Yeah, it's, it's thought-provoking in a lot of ways, I found. Mm-hmm. You know, it just makes you think a lot about, um, you know, like I said earlier, the DNA thing. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking yeah. about that and, you know, what we're repulsed by and why is that, um, yet we're made of the same things. Um, and just the path to humanity, you know, like the, the meter hit the earth and the dinosaurs were destroyed and mm. humanity grew out of that. And it was just like, yeah, I mean, it had all that. And then along with the genetic things, um, and how humans live, I mean, these examples of how they lived and what you were, what you were talking about, about the, uh, um, well, Hey, some people do like to live in one place, you know? And all of those things, you know, it, it, it just, to me, it was just very thought-provoking. I'd always leave it thinking about things. hmm Yeah. Well, and also, I was thinking, just as we were talking, I was thinking, what would happen if we couldn't lie? Mm. If every time you talk, you're giving away what you really think, the way the dinosaurs do. Yeah. How does that change things? Mm-hmm. What it does is it... it moves the level of conflict into a different field sure it's much more i mean they have their politics and everything but everybody knows who's on whose side (laughs) and what they think and who they do and don't agree with yeah yeah does it remind you a a little bit of the demolished man you know where by alfred bester you know where it's a it's a uh what a telepathic society and how could you commit a murder in a telepathic society Mm -hmm. but everybody knows what everybody's thinking you know how how would that change everything? Right. Yeah. And how do you hide it? Right. Because they were busy trying working on hiding it at the same time. Yes. Or at least the murderer was. Right. Right. But um, yeah, and and of course this is uh. First of all, you have to have the concept of lying. Hmm. Which no one did. Vante did a little. But the most she could do is to keep her thoughts from getting out. She couldn't say something that was completely not true. She could just recognize what Carrick did because it would be useful to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just kind of an interesting idea to think about how would things change. Of course, it, it doesn't matter, uh-huh. <laughs> except that we're not supposed to lie. Right. <laughs> so then how do you live? You have to live by being honest, by not doing things you're ashamed of talking about later, by, you know, yeah. being a good person. And if you're a Christian, then, of course, you want to be like Jesus, who never did anything that he needed to be ashamed for, or mm-hmm. um, didn't lie, stood up for what was right, was kind to the, you know, broken reed. He didn't, he was, you know, mm-hmm. he was everything we want to be. Right, Yeah. Great point. Because especially when you mm-hmm. think about it, how often do we lie to ourselves? And oh, I'm not saying yeah. I sit around all the time, but sometimes mm-hmm. you have these moments you go, oh my gosh, I <laughs> forgot how I've been. And then there's other times where you're arguing with yourself. 
Mm. Because you want to do the thing you shouldn't do. And so then you start giving yourself excuses. You're lying to yourself at that point. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it'll be all right. Nobody <laughs> will really care. It doesn't really matter. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then possibly and then doing the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. And, and some then, people do it so much that they start to believe it when they do it. Yeah. Yeah. They've talked themselves into it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and enter confession. <laughs> Here we are again. You bet. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that clears the relationship back up. Yeah, you're Let's right. Let's leave that stuff behind. Yes. And start anew. Right. Say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And sometimes you don't. Right. Which is great. <laughs> I know. Then, yeah. then you go, oh, that's great. This this isn't happening anymore. After so long of struggling with it, this is great. Wait, what's this new thing over here that I came up with? Why? Ooh, shiny. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, not always the case. But, right, you know, that's right. when you go, oh, this thing I thought was one problem is actually two. Darn it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's when you get the clarity, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah. But yeah, what a wonderful book. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that you liked it too. Oh, I'm so glad I, you picked it. I knew, I knew you liked it already, but it was just like, no. yay. I was curious, as we said at the end of the last episode, neither of us had read it in so long. So I sat down one Sunday and went, well, all right, if I do this many pages a day, <laughs> yeah. and I, you know, just to get through it, just to... And that day I read 300 pages oh, of the 400. It. I love it. And the next day was a work day. Mm-hmm. So I was taking it with me everywhere and reading a few pages here and a few pages there. And it was like, oh, I'm waiting for someone to call me back. Oh, here's this book. I'll just read this <laughs> some. So, I mean, I was really hooked in a way I hadn't been for a while. So I really enjoyed reading it. Oh, that's good. That's great. Yeah. I love that feeling. Yeah, I'm so glad And I was too. It. I couldn't wait to get back to it every time. So... Okay. Fantastic. Well, good. That's a good, win. Good, good. It's a win. <laughs> All right. And what's next for us? More science fiction. Yay. We're going to the moon. All right. Yeah. The movie oh, man. Moon. Yep. Yes. That's a fun movie. I like it. <laughs> fun is not really how I call it. <laughs> I still call it fun. It's it's a very good movie. Yes, that's right. <laughs> fun is not really what comes to mind. But yeah, I've seen it once, so I'm eager to see it again. And I really love Sam Rockwell. He's oh, such yeah. a good actor. He's, he's the best. And this is yep. practically a one-man show. Let's so. get out of here before someone kills Guy. <laughs> yes. <Yep. laughs> Yeah, I have not watched Galaxy Quest in way too long. I need to pull that one out again. (laughs) That is a that is a classic. (laughs) It is. Yeah, it is. My goodness. Oh, quote for that movie all the time. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I was I was in a meeting the other day at work. One of those meetings where there's like 15 people in there, (laughs) and somebody quoted Galaxy Quest, and I was like. Really? I had no idea, you know? So, yeah, instant friendship. <laughs> yeah. Soulmate. Soulmate. <laughs> oh, too funny. And too you funny. got it, and they looked at you and you went, oh, it's like, oh, yeah. It's you. <laughs> You're the one I knew. <laughs> so good. Oh, I love yeah. that. Too funny. Well, great. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah. We, yep. We'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. See you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.